You're listening to the Nonprofit Power Podcast. Today's episode is about how to know which money or policy decision maker is in charge of the thing you want and how to reach them. So stay tuned. If you want to have real and powerful influence over the money and policy decisions that impact your organization and the people you serve, then you're in the right place. I'm Kath Patrick, and I've helped dozens of progressive nonprofit leaders take their organizations to new and higher levels of impact and success by building powerful influence with the decision makers that matter. It is possible to get a critical mass of the money and policy decision makers in your world to be as invested in your success as you are, to have them seeking you out as an equal partner, and to have them bringing opportunities and resources to you. This podcast will help you do just that. Welcome to the Nonprofit Power Podcast. Hey, everybody, Kath Patrick here. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Nonprofit Power Podcast. I'm so glad you're here for today's episode. If you don't know exactly who's in charge of the thing you want, How can you influence the decisions being made about it? But knowing who's in charge is only half the battle. You also have to know what's going on in their head and their heart so you can truly reach them. In this episode, we get into the details of how to do that and what kind of results you can get when you do it well. Hey there, folks. This is Kath Patrick, your host of the Nonprofit Power Podcast. I'm excited to talk to you today about getting a little bit more into the four pillars of successful advocacy. We talked about that a little bit in the last episode, the existence of the four pillars plus the foundation. And today I want to talk to you about the first pillar, which is know your decision maker. Absolutely everything starts here. And there's two pieces to knowing your decision maker. First of all, you got to know which decision maker is in charge of the decision you care about. And it's interesting because I see a lot of folks not nailing that down before they start their advocacy work. You got to know who is in charge, who's the ultimate decision maker. There may be intermediate decision makers or gatekeepers along the way, and it may be helpful to know those, but it's critical to know who the ultimate decision maker is. And then once you know that, you also need to know what makes that decision maker tick. Sadly, too many people skip one or both of those pieces or give them short shrift in some way. The absolute biggest mistake I see over and over again is making assumptions about either one of those pieces. And the short answer to that is just don't. Don't make assumptions. It almost never goes well for you. I see folks making assumptions about who's in charge. And the way that goes amok sometimes is I'll see folks where they already have an in into a decision-making structure, whether it's a funder or a potential partner or a contracting partner, any number of possibilities. And they'll look and they'll say, well, I already have a really great relationship with SusieQ, who's a case manager or somebody else working in that structure or an office manager or whatever they are. And that's awesome. All relationships are worth having, and they can often be your in to building a relationship with the actual decision maker in charge. But what I'll see happen much too often is because as human beings, we're 
hardwired to try and stay in our comfort zone as often as possible and as much as possible. So in the quest for comfort zone, we'll hang out in that comfortable, established relationship, but it's with someone who doesn't actually have decision-making authority. So we have to be careful about that. We have to make sure we really know who's in charge. The thing is about clarifying who's actually in charge is sometimes that's pretty clear. Sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's deliberately obfuscated. We could talk a little bit more about that and about why sometimes decision-making structures are deliberately opaque. You can probably guess, but we'll dig into that. But in general, no matter whether it's clear or not, whether you've got to do a little digging or a lot of digging, bottom line, there's basically three things you can do. You can talk to people who would know. And that's where those comfortable relationships at the lower rungs of the structure can be very helpful because a lot of times that person will have insight about, okay, well, you know, the org chart says this, but so-and-so is really in charge. Or yes, that's supposed to be their jurisdiction, but this other person has been horning in on that and they are really the ones in charge of this project, whatever it is. So you talk to the people who would know. Sometimes it's people on the inside, sometimes it's people adjacent, or maybe it's colleagues who've had experience with that organizational structure and can tell you some inside stuff. You can also, and even though I just made a disparaging reference, org charts can be very useful. Committee structures, jurisdictions, particularly if you're dealing with government entities, whether it's elected or administrative structures, those tend to be more clearly established. And then in corporate structures, that's where an org chart can be really helpful. Or in large agencies, large, particularly state agencies, or even if you're in a big city or municipality or county, the lines of authority and who's in charge of what get really complicated the bigger the structure is. That's when you start to need charts to sort it all out. And you may find that there's more than one person who might be in charge of an ultimate decision. At least those charts and structures and jurisdictional maps will give you a starting place of understanding and you can begin to dig into it. The other thing you can do if it's a government thing, you can check the authorizing legislation. A lot of times, particularly with federal programs where the original funding structure and programming authorization has started through the federal legislation, and then the money may flow down to states and then down to localities, which is often the case with federally funded programs. You can go to the authorizing legislation to understand what the decision-making structure and lines of authority actually are supposed to look like. This is where we get into the obfuscation thing, right? One of the things that I experienced over and over again when I was working as an advocacy and policy director for a national organization that was a network of direct service programs and a lot of them had more than one source of federal funding that was administered in that way. The authorizing legislation happened through Congress, and then the structure of the money was that it would flow down to state entities that would have some decision-making and financial authority, and then the rest of it would flow down to localities where those local entities would have additional decision-making authority and funding authority. What you find often is that that constitutes really handy cover for whoever, wherever you are in the decision-making structure. Let's say you want something from the local entity and they're really good at saying, oh no, that's not our decision. That gets made at the state level. We don't have any authority over that. And then the state people will be, oh no, 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 we no, no, that's not us. The feds have control over that. 
it is not uncommon for those folks to be misleading you a little bit. So it's really helpful to know your authorizing legislation if you've got federal dollars so that you can at least say to yourself, yeah, well, I know that's not actually true. And then you come up with a strategy for how to deal with the fact that they're trying to mislead you. But you first have to know what's actually accurate. A lot of the work that I do for my clients is untangle federal funding and decision-making structures and help them understand what's really going on, what should be going on, who's really in charge, and what's the easiest advocacy path to getting influence with the decision-maker that actually matters. You can research all of that. You can talk to people. Sometimes you have to dig a little harder, and that's okay. It's all part of the research process. Thankfully, a lot of the time, you won't have to work that hard. It'll be pretty clearly cut. But if it isn't, there's always strategies you can use to dig in and find out, okay, who's really in charge here? So once you've figured that out, you know, okay, this decision maker is the one. They are the ones who have the final say in what happens on this thing that I want. And remember, 99 times out of 100, the reason we're doing advocacy is we want something related to money or to policy. So you're looking for policy decision makers and money decision makers. They may or may not be the same people in a given context. But once you know who they are, then you're going to figure out, okay, so what are they all about? What makes them tick? I mentioned mistakes people make in the assumptions category. One of the biggest mistakes that nonprofit leaders are often guilty of is thinking that the decision maker cares about the stuff we care about. And they feel passionate about the parts of this work that we feel passionate about. They might, but oftentimes that's not the case. And so we have to really get inside their head and their heart and try to understand what's really going on for them. What do they care about? What do they care about in terms of issues? But it's also, what are their perspectives on that issue or on human behavior in general? What aspects of an issue are most important to them? What do they value? The things that we value may not be what they value. What are some of their core beliefs? What phrasing do they use to talk about all of those things? This is really important because all the stuff that I just said is about sort of getting inside their heart and head and understanding what they care about in general. But another thing that's really important and helpful to understand is what problems are they struggling with in their role at the organization they work at, or if they're an elected official in the context of that work. What keeps them up at night? What are they really stressing out about? Everybody's got something, usually several somethings, that are connected to the work that they are responsible for, that connects to the money or policy thing that you want. They've got stuff keeping them up at night. And it is extremely valuable for you to know what that is. And then the last thing is, do they have any personal connection to either your issue or your services? or the focus of the work that you do, or some aspect of the population that you serve. Chances are very good if you're in direct service nonprofit work that somewhere in that decision maker's life, it might be a close connection or it might be a more distant connection. They know somebody who has struggled with the stuff that your services address. It's incredibly helpful to understand that because that can be a really handy gateway into engaging them effectively. This sounds like a lot, and it is, kind of, and it takes effort over time. You're not going to like just go out and 
do a research project and learn everything you can know about this in one shot. And they're like, okay, good. My research phase is done. Now I shall go to the next phase. That isn't how it works. This is sort of an iterative process. It evolves over time and you learn as you go. The most critical thing is you got to keep track of what you're learning. It doesn't do you any good to learn some super valuable nugget about a decision maker and then park that knowledge somewhere that you don't then access when you're engaging them. You have to keep track of it. And we'll talk about that in future episodes. There's a lot of ways to do that, depending on how sophisticated your operation is and so on. But bottom line, you got to keep track. And even if you just open a little note-taking document, whatever your preferred note-taking structure is, and just open a file of notes on each decision maker and just jot stuff as you learn it. You can organize it later, but at least keep track of it some kind of way. Because if you don't, you know how it is. The press of life takes over. You got a lot going on and you're going to forget stuff. And that would be a shame. So definitely keep track. But I can't stress enough that you can't know what strategies you're going to need, what messaging will work, how to engage a decision maker, None of that can happen if you don't first learn what makes them tick. The exciting thing is that when you get it right, you can really connect with that person. They're leaning in. They're asking questions. They're getting excited about the possibilities right there with you. They want to help. You've all been in a meeting where that happened. And it's just like the most exciting experience ever. You're omen with each other and you're all in it. And you're like, yeah, this is great. Let's figure this out. That's when awesomeness is happening. But then there are some ways to get this wrong. You've been in the meetings where it didn't go that way. You know, I'm sure you've been in meetings where it's like, it wasn't bad. It was terrible. It just wasn't, didn't feel like you were clicking. You're talking, you're talking and you're having a conversation, but nothing's clicking. They're not really focused. They're not really engaged. You can tell by their body language, by their energy level, that they're just not really in it. And then you got the ones where it goes sideways and you're like, what just happened here? This isn't good. This is not going well. Back to the classic problem of assumptions. The biggest way to get this stuff wrong is to make assumptions. And one of the biggest ones, as I said, is assuming that they care about what you care about or that they have the same priorities or passions. For example, if I come in to a conversation with a decision maker talking about how my services change people's lives, because that's what lights me up. And I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. You should see the transformation that happens in our people. They come in and they're this level of struggle and then they get our services and, and we work with them and then they come out the other end and they're, they're amazing. They're like a whole different person and it's awesome. And wow, you can tell my energy is like way up. I'm bringing the right energy. I'm passionate. That's all awesome. But if the decision maker I'm talking to is someone who's all about ROI and cost savings, they're kind of not listening to a word I say. They may register on some level. Well, this person's clearly passionate about what she does. That's awesome. Good for her. But, you know, I'm not really hearing anything that speaks to me. That's a mismatch. And that's me assuming that my passion is enough, that my passion is automatically going to be shared by another person. It doesn't work that way. But then you can go wrong the other direction, too, because then you can make assumptions about what they care about based on your perceptions of people like them. Whether people like them is powerful decision makers or rich people or high-level official or Republicans and Democrats, whatever it is, or foundation types. Anytime you start thinking in terms of types, 
instead of individuals, you're wandering into dicey territory. I could do this wrong in a different direction. I could assume that a corporate decision maker, because they're corporate, must be all about data, right? Because that's what corporate people are like. And I come in reeling off a ton of data on outcomes and impact, and I got my facts and figures all lined up, and I'm ready to talk ROI because I've decided that that's what corporate people want to hear about. But this particular person in front of me is a little bit more heart-centered. And they may listen, and they're like, yeah, my company cares about this, my boss cares about this, but, you know, I really want to know about how this changes people's lives. You know, my heart's not, I'm not feeling it here. You just can't assume anything. You got to be ready for anything. But again, this goes back to the having done the homework ahead of time, the more you can understand before the first time you engage them, the further ahead on the journey you will be. And the most critical thing is with every single interaction you have, and these days that interaction may well be virtual. You might get to meet in person. You might be meeting virtually. You might be engaging them through other communications methods. But whatever it is, Every time you learn something new, whether it's through direct engagement or observation where they're appearing in other settings, you want to be gleaning new information about what makes them tick and putting that wherever your little note-taking pile is, making sure that you're keeping track of that. Because every time somebody opens their mouth, they reveal a little bit about themselves. They reveal a little bit about what they care about. And so it's your job to be the detective and just be paying attention. It's really just that simple. Most of the time, it's just listen and pay attention and take note when somebody tells you something useful and then write it down. This stuff is really pretty simple, but it's not easy. Like any set of skills, there are layers. All you can do is start wherever you are. If you're just getting started, it'll take a few tries before you get any good at this. That's okay. You've got to start where you are. If you've been at it for a while, you can think about how you can use this pillar of know your decision maker to improve your game because you are never done getting better at this. And if you're new, the other thing I want to say to you that's really important for you to hear is, you know, we all get it wrong sometimes. You're going to blow it from time to time. Hopefully not spectacularly. Hopefully no crash and burn scenarios. But, you know, you're not going to nail it all the time. I've been at this for a really long time, and I'm pretty good at it, and occasionally I miss. But what I've gotten very good at, because I've developed the skill set, is I've gotten very good at figuring out very quickly that I'm on the wrong path, and I course correct immediately. And I keep course correcting until I get the energy response, the body language response that I'm looking for in that engagement. Because I've been practicing it for so long, I'm able to course correct instantly in real time and get to the point where at a minimum, the engagement level is higher at the end of the conversation than it was when we started. And then I build on it. It's never one and done. You're never going to just get one chance to talk to somebody or almost never, never say never. But typically, because you're building a relationship, you're trying to do this over time. So you're going to get it wrong sometimes. And that is not a reason not to do it. In fact, it's a reason to do it so that you can start developing your skills. And we develop those skills through practice and feedback and learning from what we observe went right and what went wrong. It's how we learn to do anything. Don't be so worried about possibly getting it wrong that you never get started. 
It's the only way you're going to get good at this. And again, for those of you who've been at this for a while, I challenge you to look a little deeper and think about how you can go deeper with your understanding of at least the critical decision makers in your world. Start with the top ones and think about what's the next layer of understanding that you can develop about them and about their perspectives and values and concerns and priorities and passions. There's always more to learn. And the deeper you go with your understanding, the more you're going to be able to connect with that decision maker. And the deep connection, that's, that's where the magic starts to happen. That's when you start transforming supporters into allies and then allies into champions. And ultimately, that's our goal, right? We want as many critical decision makers as possible to be operating as champions for our organization, for our work, and for the people we serve. Until you get to the point where you've got more champions than you could possibly use or know what to do with, there's more work to be done in getting to know your decision maker. Wherever you're starting, get busy and start leveling up your game today. And I've got something for you that'll help you do that. There's a workbook that goes with the first six episodes of this podcast to help you get a little jump start on leveling up your game with the four pillars and the foundation from wherever you're starting. So I'll link that up in the show notes and I encourage you to download that. Get started focusing on how you can take at least one action today or this week that will start to increase your knowledge of your decision makers and start you on a path of being able to connect with them more effectively. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.